How many people are blessed this morning? Amen. Amen. Billy Graham said that it's an amazing time, when, uh, actually when he was alive, that it was an amazing time to live in, that you could open up the newspaper on one side and open the Bible on the other side and see the stories of the Bible unfolding in the newspaper. Pretty much what the Bible has predicted, you would see it unfold in in our daily lives. And he said, I would not want to be, I would want, I would not want to live in any other time than the time that we're living now. And that was, that is a nice quote from Billy Graham, but I'm like, man, you didn't live in 2020. 2020 has been so far a very special year. Now, I don't know of our, in our history that any year has been as um, troublesome as 2020 so far, right? Uh, we started the year with, uh, in January, so this is 2020 in, in review so far. So in January, it starts with what? Uh, Kobe crash, right? Kobe and his daughter are on the way to a game. There is fog and boom, stuns the world. You'll be, uh, Kobe, sorry, young man, uh, relatively young, re- retired after a great sports career, uh, very affluent and influential, and out of the blue, boom, he's gone. February come and the, the world is shocked with the Ahmad Arbery murder um, that almost went unchallenged, untried because people are trying to rub it under under um, under the carpet, under the rug. And then and then February also we saw the end of the impeachment saga um, to show how the, divided our country is. But that was just the beginning because March come and March you get. The COVID shutdown, right? The country shuts down in an unprecedented manner, and boom, we've never seen this before. Uh, for a lot of people, a week before, everything looks fine, and we think it's not going to be that hard, and then whoop, they flip the switch, and it's the end of the world. It's, it's like everything is shut down. You go down downtown areas, and it's desert. It's empty. You feel like you live in the apocalypse, like it's so empty. But then February come, and then the shutdown that they told us was going to be for two weeks, they say we got to extend it, right? Because we don't control this thing, and we have to extend it. And as a result, the economy crashes. 30 million people in the, in the United States lose their jobs, approximately, in one flash. You know, people with plans, people who build their, their businesses, they're trying to, you know, I want to start my restaurant, and they put their money in, and they, and they are building a life for themselves, and out of the blue, it's taken away. Yeah, they're taken away, and they're, they're like, even now, 50%, 60%, whatever the percentage are of people, businesses that are gone, that are not coming back. And then May come, and May, the world watches in horror the murder of George Floyd, right? And, and I don't know the whole story, but all I know is you had a man in handcuffs, and for nine minutes, they put a knee on his neck. I don't know what he did before. I don't know what his life was before. But in handcuffs, nine minutes, and you see the life live, leave the body. And so in June, the world rallies in, in, in outcry, and you have the George Floyd protests all over the world. Places you've never heard of, they're protesting. Places in remote parts of different countries they're protesting because out of a sudden now the 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 plight of George Floyd and the plight of the African American community became the plight of a lot of people in the world and a lot of people that were suffering their own own situations now use this as a rallying cry to fight 
But then, soon enough, the peaceful protests are overshadowed by violent riots, where now you see cities burn, and then so July comes and you have more unrest, and then more COVID resurgence. Uh, the Sun Belt now is seeing a, a, a surge, the Sun Belt being Florida, Alabama, Arizona, all those, the Sun Belt. Florida in July set the record for new COVID cases to 15,000 plus in one day. Boom. That's July. And then when things start to quiet down in August, the king is dead. Chadwick Boseman, 43 years old, gone, out of blue. Was fighting colon cancer for four years. Nobody ever knew. He lived it really like a true king with dignity that you would never ever know that he was going through this. He, he, he gave us some very influential movies during that time that you would never know that he was going through it. But God called him home in, 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 in August. Come September, September, you have California and the West wildfires. And there are so many wildfires in California, Washington State, Oregon, that they're, 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 they don't know what to do. Because normally, if, if fires come in California, Washington State, Oregon, they come to help. If, if they come in Washington, California goes to help. But now all of them, they're all uh, uh, struggling with, with the flames and they don't know how they're going to take, uh, how they're going to uh, fight those fires. And you see acres and acres of fire uh, destroying forests, just burning. And then also in September, uh, the notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court justice passes away. Right before a presidential election, which brings another cycle of Supreme Court nomination. At last, in October, the president of the, the president of the United States is taken to the hospital because himself got COVID-19. This is 2020 so far. This is 2020 so far. So 2020 is what I call a Joel type of year. Open your Bibles with me in Joel chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. It's a Joel type of year. So Joel chapter 1 goes like this. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Phethuel, an invasion of locusts, that's the subtitle. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days, in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust worm has left, the great locust has eaten. What the great locust has left, the young locust has eaten. And what the young locust has left, the other locusts have eaten. And so you see, it's a, it's a really uh, Joel type of year. You talk to anybody that has a certain amount of age in their body, and you, we've never seen a year like this. We've never seen anything like this. The closest that you would get to it was maybe World War II back in the 1939 to 1945, right? Uh, or maybe the Spanish flu in 1918. But as of now, in our generation, we've never seen anything like this, where all the different pillars of society are falling one after the other, where, where health care is, is, is threatened, where the economy is threatened, where the political arena is in upheaval. And we couldn't even protect the leader of the free world, if they couldn't protect the leader of the free world, 
what about you? What about me? And so this year, what, you know, every time you hear a bad news, it takes a little something, right? Every time you hear a bad news, it shocks you. So what Kobe didn't take, the Kobe crash didn't take, the Armored Arbery murder took. What the Armored Arbery took, didn't take, the, the shutdowns took. What the shutdowns didn't take, the economy crashing takes it, and so on, and so on, and so on. And it's like, there's a Bible verse that says, you're running from a lion and you stumble on a bear. It's like you're running, you're trying to protect your, your health, but then your, 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 your own economy crashes. And we have to, 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 to ask ourselves and we ask God, God, what, what's happening? What's going on? And we understand that our lives are in the hands of God. Nothing happens by accident. I don't believe in just random chance. I don't believe in, in random chance. And what we find right now in our society, we find ourselves in a situation that they lived in the past. We find ourselves in, in a predicament that they lived in the past. So now we can whether be wise and learn from the past or we can be fools and keep going the way we've been going. We can be wise and learn from other people's mistakes or we can be fools and try to do it our own way. You see, the book of Joel was written about 800 to 750 B.C. It's a book that we call, it's part of the small prophets. It's a section of the Bible that people don't read a lot, right? We read the nice books of the Bible. We read the Psalms because they make us feel good. We, we, we read the gospel, and, and they're very significant. We read, but we don't read the small prophets. We don't read the books like Joel and Zephaniah and, and, and Amos. If I tell you go to Joel right now, it's going to take a minute. It's going to take a minute. But there are big lessons that we find in, 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 in those books. And in the book of Joel, that was written 250 years, 750 years before Christ, but 250 years before the events that were going to occur. And what we find is the role of the prophets. You see, God gave the law to his people. Before they went into the promised land, God gave them a series of laws. He said, you follow my laws and, you, I, and I will bless you in the land. You follow my laws, you will be blessed in the city and you will be blessed in the field. You follow my laws and, and, and I'm going to give you a blessing that you don't have room to receive. But if you disobey my law, if you disobey my law the same way the people, the land that you're going into, it's not your land. I'm giving you that land because these people, they corrupted the land, so I'm, I'm taking them out. And if you do like they did, you're going to have the same circumstances. You're going to have the same punishment that they had. Uh, the, the land that I'm giving you, if you follow my word, if you follow, I will bless you. If you don't follow my word, I will send another country and they will come and they will take you out of this land. And so what we find in the book of Joel is, is you know, when you evaluate a, a uh, option in life, you have the pros and the cons, right? You evaluate the pros and you evaluate the cons. But today, this morning, we're going to do the cons and the pros. You see, in the book of Joel, God says, you know what? This is what is going to happen if you guys don't come back to me. Verse 5 says, wake up, you drunkard, and weep. Wail all you drinkers of, of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched before you live. And so what we find is that when God wants to get your attention, 
Number one, he's going to give you constant lack. He's going to put you in a place of lack where you know you're not getting what you're needing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying if you're you're going through financial struggles that you're necessarily that you're necessarily in a sinful position before God. Job lost everything, but he was righteous before God. Job lost his his wealth and his health, but he was still righteous before God. But I'm saying as a nation, our blessing and our prosperity, and I'm not talking about making millions of dollars, but I'm talking about getting enough food, it comes from God. It comes from God ultimately. Have you ever found yourself in a, in a place where you're you're working and you're working and you're working, but you can never make ends meet? You find yourself in a place where you're you're working, but it's like the, the example is like it's like a basket, and you're trying to put water, but there's a hole at the bottom. Anybody you ever been in that situation where the check is coming on Friday, but before the check clears on Friday, it's already all spent. It's already all gone. And what God says to the to the people of Israel is, if you don't come back to me, if you don't come back to me, you're going to find yourself in a constant lack. He says, wake up, you drunkards, and weep, wail, all you your drinkers of wine, wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched away from your lips. And we find ourselves this year where bars are closed, boom. No more alcohol, right? And it's funny. Some state says, oh, you have to keep the alcohol, the liquor store open, but you close the church. So I can drink booze, but I can't go to church. But God has a way. When you're drunk, it's because alcohol has became, became your God. When you're drunk, and that could be anything, anything that takes the place of God, anything that takes your attention away from God. But God has a way to take away from us what took us away from him. God has a way to snatch away from us the very thing that snatched us away from him. And so the people would find themselves in constant light unless they come back to God. And if we go to verse 6, verse 10 and 12, it says, The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The olive oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you wine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because of the harvest of the field is destroyed. The wine is dried up and the fig, the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm and the apple tree. And all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. And you find that in this crisis, it's touching us in a way that we could not anticipate. It's touching us in a way that several different industries are, are, are destroyed. You see, look at us in Florida. We live on the hospitality industry, the hotels, right? And now what we don't realize is as much as the hotels are, when the hotels are shut down, there's a lot of ripple effect. And I saw a report where farmers... They were heartbroken because they had to destroy their harvest. They had to destroy whatever they built. They had to destroy it. Why? Because they sold to restaurants. But restaurants were shut down, so restaurants weren't able to buy. Hotels, hotels are a big part of the restaurant industry, right? If you go to a hotel, a lot of times they serve food. They have to buy that food. They're shut down. They're not buying that food. I was talking to one of my brothers that's doing IT. He says, you know what? In that time, they're not calling IT. So there's a whole lot of different industries that are 
affected in ways that we did not think. So now imagine you work hard to do your harvest or whatever your project is, and out of the blue it is shut down. And out of the blue, you look at the fruit of your labor and you have to burn it. They say, we're going to have to burn it. This is some of the cows that we have. We're going to have to kill them. We're going to have to burn them. Because no more, otherwise they would have went and they would have produced this and they would have produced that. But the, 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 the supply chain is broken, so they can't. So we find, we look in Joel, and we see that the farmers are despair. And you look on the news and you see the farmers are despair. You see that situation where even the most powerful economy in the world cannot make ends meet because of, of a situation that is beyond its control. And then we go to verse 16 and 18. And it says, Has not the food been cut off before your very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the claws. The, the storehouse are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down for the grain has dried up. How the cattle mourn. And, and you see this is a situation where, and, and what strikes me in this passage is, even the house of the God, the house of the Lord is affected. Even the house of God is affected. I, I, imagine this. I don't think anything happens by accident. Imagine God gave us a plague. And I'm not saying, uh, you know, God gave us a plague and he even shut down the church. Even shut down the church. Where 9-11 happened, we all came and we all ran to church. And church has never been as filled as 9-11. Right? Because church is a place of refuge. Church is a place where you come. When you need bread, where do you go? You go in the house of God to get bread. That's why a lot of the churches, they have food pantries because people know that that's where you find bread. When, when, when a hurricane comes, where do people look at? They look to a church for refuge. But in this situation, God said, you know what? You're not even going to be able to come to church for refuge. Because nothing is going to take the place of God. You cannot come to church for refuge, but you can go to God for refuge. The church, the, the doors of the church might be closed, but the gates of heaven are open. The throne of God is open. But we find ourselves that in, it was in the blink of an eye. And I, was, I, I give you guys our example. We were planning on going on a cruise the week before. Like we're, cruise, we're ready to go on a cruise, and we're trying to convince ourselves that it's safe to go on a cruise. But thank God the cruise line canceled. Otherwise, we might have been stranded on at sea trying to uh, trying to survive like other cruise ships had to survive. It happened in the Nesset where, where for a lot of people, the food was literally, you see the plate and they take the plate away from you. And that's a constant light. And we find that in the book of Joel. And we can say, oh, it just happened. Or we can take a time to think and say, why did it happen? God, why did you allow that predicament to happen to us? And, and, and don't get me wrong. It's not always sin. Like I said, Job was a, a, a man of integrity. Job was a man of righteousness. And it happened to him. But in this case, in Joel, there are not people of integrity. We're not people of integrity at all. What we find is uh, throughout the book of 
First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, that you have king after king, and some are godly, but a lot, a lot are ungodly. And what they failed to do is they had those high places where people would go worship false gods. They would go worship idols, and king after king would fail to remove idolatry from the land. And God says, you know what? I'm not going to share my glory with nobody. I'm not going to share my glory with no Baal. I'm not going to share my glory with no Moloch. The glory is all mine. It doesn't belong to anybody else. I know you're a sports fan, but LeBron or my MJ, they don't deserve no glory. All the glory deserves to Jesus Christ. And they find themselves in a constant lack. But the constant lack, guess what it is? It's just a warning sign. It's just a warning sign to get your attention. It's just a warning sign so you can say, okay, something is wrong. It's kind of like a disease. You know, when your body is sick, it's your body trying to, when you feel pain in the body, it's your body telling you something is wrong and you need to attend to it. When you see sometimes, let's say you have a a skin disease or you have asthma or whatever, it's your body telling you something is wrong and you need to attend to it. So that you can make it right. So when you see this situation happen, it's God telling you something is wrong and I need y'all to make it right. I need y'all to come back to me and make it right. And that's most of chapter one is, is a constant lack. But then there's chapter two and chapter two is they would be conquered. They would be conquered. And if we go back to verse 6 and 7 of chapter 1, it says, A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion and the fange of a lioness. It has laid waste to my vine and ruined up my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and has thrown it away, leaving their branches White. So imagine, we're talking about the people of God, and God says to a, a pagan nation, a bad nation, an evil nation, they're not godly at all. They don't even believe in God at all. God gave them power to come and overcome the people of God and go all the way to the temple of God and take the utensils, the holy things of God, and take them into their own temple. And and, and, and you find that in the uh, in the book of Daniel, where you see God raising up. Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, evil kingdom, evil king, and go to the... So we think sometimes that, oh, we're bad, but we're not that bad. We're the people of God. And God expects of us righteousness. And God could allow somebody less righteous than you to come and and overpower you. And so we see in the first part that they would have a deficit, they would have a famine, they would have a lack. But we see in the second part, and then the most of chapter 2 is about they're going to be conquered. So they're going to go from deficit to defeat. They're going to go from deficit to defeat. And now, thankfully, we're not there yet as a country. There's no foreign army walking down the street yet. But I'm telling you, to come back to God so that we don't get to chapter 2. I'm telling you to come back to God in your life so you don't get to chapter 2. So you don't get to the point where you experience defeat after defeat. You know you could work hard and work out of the best work ethic, but if God doesn't give you success, you will fail. If God doesn't give you success, you will fail. So I need you to come back to me. I know you have dreams. I know you have plans. But your plans without me is going to lead to your defeat. 
but your plans with me is going to lead to your victory. You see, we can put all the efforts, but the success comes from God. We can put all of our time, all of our heart into something, and it still doesn't work because God says no. Because God said no. So he says, come back to me. Come back to me. And we see that in verse, in verse 19. And you know, we're, we're in um, political season, right? And, and, and my heart is, is very heavy because I feel like we're in deep trouble. Last night, um, my daughter came in the office and I held her a little tighter because I felt like she's in trouble. She's in deep trouble. Not because of anything that she did, but because of what we're doing now. Because of what our ancestors, our predecessors have done. You see, some of the, what he was saying there, it was 250 years before it actually occurred. So God gives you warning and gives you warning and he gives you warning. Some of the stuff that we're seeing going on now, it's not us necessarily. It's not the 70-year-old 70 70 year people in Washington that are going to pay the price. It's our children that are going to pay the price. When you put God out of the equation, the consequences that you're going to get, they're going to be, the consequences that you're going to get are going to be dire. But now the 70-year-old fool that's putting those laws, they're not going to pay because they're going to be dead. They're going to answer to God in front of his throne. But it's the children that come after that are going to pay. And my heart was heavy because, I, so on one side, I see a church that made a choir, and the choir sang a song, Make Make America Great Again. And, and I was like, that's wrong, but let me give them the benefit of the doubt. Let me go and look at the lyrics. Let me go and see the, um, the reasoning or whatever. And in my humble opinion, it's just idolatry. And God doesn't play with idolatry. You cannot take the sacred things of God. You cannot take the sacred psalmists, the singers that would that are there to worship. When you look in, in when David was setting up the temple, the, the people that were doing the worship, they had to, to set themselves apart. You could not mix. And then the king could not even have to do office in the temple, right? The, the king could not do what the priest does and, and the priest could not do what the king does, but the, the, the king and God killed kings because they tried to offer the sacrifice. God God rejected Saul because he tried to 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 to, to have a sacrifice. And and, and, the, and the, the choirs that would sing in the temple, they had to set themselves apart. Now you want to tell me that you bring in the house of God song and then I read and the author says it was a tribute to President Trump. What? So you take the choir to pay tribute to a man? That's a bad idea. That is a bad, bad, bad idea. And I don't know where you fall on the political spectrum, but God makes it clear. The he doesn't share his glory. His glory is only to him. The glory is not for Trump. The glory is not for Biden. The glory is for Jesus Christ, period. And so they do that song, and but you look at Nebuchadnezzar, right? God gave him a dream, and God in the dream says, you're going to be a statue of, 
there's a statue of gold, silver, bronze, and iron. And, and, and you're the gold part of that statue. And I gave you power and I gave you glory. And I allowed you to, to be a great king. And you're the gold part. And then another one is going to come after you, and it's going to be the silver part. And another one is going to come after you, and they're going to be the bronze part. But Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't like it. He didn't like that. So what he did, he went and he did a gold, a statue full of gold. Kind of saying to God, you know what, I know what your plan is, but my plan is better. I don't want to be just a gold part. I want to be the whole thing. I want to be the whole enchilada. I want it all. I don't want to share it. And, and you know what God did? Say, oh, you want it all? God gave him a mental illness where for seven years he was eating grass. He was eating grass. When you try to elevate a man, God will put them back down. God will put them back down. There's another king in Acts 12, um, Herod. The people came to Herod in Acts 12 and they said, Herod, voice of God and not of a man. And Herod took the glory. And you know what God did? God killed him on the spot. God killed him on the spot. And he died in a weird disease to show that it was God taking his life. Paul and, and Barnabas, they were preaching, and, and then the people that were there listening, they were so touched that they said, wow, these guys, they have power. They see the power, the miracles that God would do. They would say, wow. And then they made a mistake. They say, this is Zeus, and this is Hermes, like their, their Greek god. And they went to get a sacrifice to give to Paul and Barnabas. When Paul and Barnabas saw it, they said, whoa, whoa, no, 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 stop. What, what are you guys doing? Don't. And they stopped, and they guys said, no, no. We're not gods. Don't give us homage. Don't give us tribute. All the glory, all the honor, all the praise belongs to only one and one alone. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And that's it and that's all. That's who deserves the glory. That's who deserves the honor. That's who deserves the praise. It is Jesus Christ. And they tore their, their garment because they were so afraid and so, so appalled by what the people were doing. They didn't take no glory for themselves. But now we live in a generation where people take glory for themselves. Where people, where we focus more on men than we focus on Christ. But then you look on the other side. And people are like, yeah, I'm going to vote for that guy. Like, like it's some sort of glory. But you look on the other side and Amongst other litany of immorality, the one that gets me the most is they kill children. There's no other way to put it. They kill children. They kill children. 60 million since it became the law of the land. 60 million children died. And some people say, well, yeah, but it's just one issue. No, it's not just one issue. It's 60 million issues. Because every single life is precious to the eyes of God. Every single life is crafted by God. Like Psalm 139 says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God says to Jeremiah, from the mother's womb, I, I created you and I molded you and I created, I made you prophet to the nation. And every single life matters to God. It might not matter to you, but it matters to God. You might not care about them, but God cares about them. And y'all really think we put in power people that not. And here's what, what Romans says. Romans says, it's not only that they do these things, right? Like you could do some in your house and nobody knows. And that's bad enough. And God is gonna, God is gonna hold us all accountable for what we do. But it's not only that they do these things, Romans 132. It says, but it's also that we approve of those who do. 
It's not only that we do these things, but we promote these things. We push these things and we fight for these things. You see, they're fighting to have the right to put children to death. Fighting, and if you dare say, no, that life is precious, they call you evil. So now we're in a world where evil is good and good is evil. And that's where you want to put your stake. That's where you want to make your stand. Good luck. Because if you think that the blood of those children is not going to be avenged, if you think that God is just going to pass a blind eye, good luck. Good luck. You see, when we look at the George Floyd situation, you see a man that was handcuffed. And for nine minutes, they took the life out of him. And that was outrageous because that was done not by gangsters, not by uh, a foreign army. That was done by the very people that are sworn to serve and protect. The people that are supposed to protect us are the people who did that. But when you take every single child, it's also the very people that are supposed to protect those innocent babies that do that to them. It's the mother that decides, you know what, my career is more important. There was this lady at one of those Oscars that came, not Oscars, one of those awards that came and she says, oh, I'm so happy to have this award. And, And she was thankful to have had the possibility to kill her children so that she could have the award. Because I guess she felt if she had given birth, she wouldn't have been able to do a career to get the award. And I look at my children, I'm like, okay, would I award them? I'll take them any day. You can keep your awards. I don't need your awards. I don't need them. I don't need them. If that's the cost of an award, you can keep them. I don't need them. And in the Old Testament, you see that the reason God took away the people that were in Canaan and let the Israelites come is one of the reasons is that they were offering their children to Moloch. They would take their newborn children and they would offer them to a foreign god. Which is so it's not unlike that where you you choose, oh, I want a career, I want success, and this is gonna come in the in the way of my success, so I'm gonna take that away. Recently, there's a celebrity couple, I won't name their names, but they posted online that, uh, so she was pregnant and she lost the baby in miscarriage. And you can see their pain. And you can see the struggle. And I prayed for them. I said, God, give them comfort because it's hard. That baby, and they're right, that was baby. They had a name for the baby. They, they loved him so much already. But that baby doesn't cease to be a baby because you don't want it. It doesn't cease to become a baby because you decide that you want to do. It's still a life and it's still precious. So if you think that the election is going to get us out magically, we're going to have an election that's going to take us out of our problem, you're mistaken. You're mistaken because it's not this side that can take us out of our problems. It's not that side that can take us out of our problems. The only one that can take us out of our problems is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it says in in verse 19, To you, Lord, I call. 
For fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness, and the flames have burned up all the trees of the field. But to you, Lord, I call. In your situation this morning, I want to tell you, whatever you're going through, I can help you. Your cousin can help you. Your grandma can help you. But to God, you can call. And if you call to God, he will answer. So God says, I want a contrite and and confession. I want you to have a contract and a humble heart. If you call to God, he will answer. He says in chapter 2, verse 12 to 14, he says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent from and leave behind a blessing, gain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. He says, even now, even in that state where you find yourself, even if you fell in sin 25 times, even now, even when everything looked dark around you, even when everything looked bleak and you don't have any hope, even now, he says, come to me. Even now, when everybody else rejected you, I don't care how much your mother loves you. I don't care how much your dad loves you. There's a certain level of sin that even them, they're going to be like, you know what, son? We're done with you. You know what, daughter? We're done with you. But you know what? God will never say, I'm done with you. If you come back to him, he will receive you. If you return to him, he will come back to you. And he says, Ren, like, tear your hearts, not your garments. I don't care about your outward things. I don't care about your suit or your tie. I don't care that you come and you all fly to church. I care that your heart is seeking after me. I care that your heart is looking after me. I care that you understand that, okay, you know what? Nobody's perfect, but you can come to God and he will receive you. This is what David says in Psalm Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, he says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. And he says, and and if you know the context of Psalm 51, it's after David, after he committed his worst sin, he was caught by the prophet. And he didn't try to hide the sin. He didn't try to cover the sin. He got down on his knees and begged God for forgiveness. And he said to God, he said to God, you know what? If you wanted sacrifices, I would have made them. Some people think you come to church and that solves everything. Yeah, you go to God and that solves everything. You can come to church 10,000 times. You come with your sin. You live with your sin. But if you come to God in Jesus Christ, it will wash away your sin. It will forgive your sin. And as a country, we need to come back to God. We need, that's the only way that this country is going to go forward. Now, this crisis that we're living now, eventually is going to go. And guess what? People are going to forget. And they're going to keep going in their sin and in their sin until God brings another one. And see, see what the thing with God is God doesn't just do it once. It gives you warning because it gives you chances to come. So you, maybe you find yourself in a sin and you think you're getting away with it. You're not getting away with nothing. It's just God being patient with you. It's God just God giving you time to repent. You look in this country, we had SARS or MERS and then SARS and all those little epidemics. 
right? It's like a warning shot, a warning shot. We had 9-11. That was traumatic. Everybody went to church after 9-11. But give it a little bit of time and everybody needs church. And we go back to our ways. So now we're in a pandemic. Now you can't even go to church no more. But you can come to God. You can come to God. And God says, a broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. If you come to God, I don't care what you did. I don't care how bad you've done. If you come to God with a humble and contrite heart, he will not only receive you, but he will leave behind a blessing. And that's the pros. The first blessing is provision. If we go back to chapter 2, verse 19, it says, it says, the Lord replied to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nation. If you come back to God, that, that constant lack is going to replace it with constant provision where he provides for what you need. And, and we're not talking only financially, but we're talking also emotionally and, and spiritually providing what you need. And so that's the first is provision, but then it's protection. Verse 20, protection. He says, I will drive the northern horde far from you, pushing it into the patch of and barren land. Its eastern rank will drown in the Dead Sea, the western in the Med Mediterranean Sea, and its stench will go up and smell will rise. It will, so a, a great army might come against you, but God will give you protection. When you go out and nothing happens to you, you think it's because you're smart. It's not because you're smart, it's because God is I have a friend of mine, he used to go to, he, he didn't want to serve God. I said, hey, what, your brother's serving God, your sisters are serving God, why aren't you serving God? He says, because God doesn't give me what I want. I said, what do you want? I want money and I want women. Okay. But then he said something, he said, but you know what? I know my parents pray for me. So why do you, how, how do you know? Because every time I go to the club, I, when I leave, the minute I leave, that's when the shootings happen. I'm never there for the shooting. I'm never there. So he understood that God existed. He understood that God was protecting him because of the prayer of his parents. Some of you, you're living and you're, you're, you, nothing happened to you is because somebody else is praying for you. Somebody else is giving you protection. Somebody is covering you in prayer. But guess what? Eventually that protection might end. That same guy, eventually, he was at a Burger King and the, the opposite gang came and they and he got shot. But still in that moment, God protected him because none of his vital organs were touched and he was able to come and then he had a choice. Stay in the gang or leave the gang and he chose to leave the gang. And he went on to have a productive life. But the protection, when you come back to God, you get a protection that comes only from him. But the last one, which is the most important, you get what I call the profusion of the Holy Spirit. The profusion, he says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. In these times, trust me, we don't need Washington, D.C. We don't need Tallahassee. We need the Holy Spirit of God. In these times, I don't know what's going to happen to this country. I don't know if it's going to go this way. I don't know if it's going to go that way. But I know that my life is in the hands of God. I know that my family's life 
is in the hands of God. And, and our hands and our lives is are under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And God says, you know what? If you come to me, my spirit, my very spirit, my very being, I'm going to make it available to you where I'm going to pour it on you. And, and that Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that that happened and that was fulfilled at Pentecost when the apostles are there and the, they hear a big boom and then the Holy Spirit come down and they start preaching the word of Christ and people from all over the world are listening and they hear them in their own language and, and they say, what is this? And Peter says, you see that prophecy in Joel that I will pour my spirit? That's what's happening God. now where God is pouring his spirit, making his presence available to you. I, I, I don't know the hardship that you're going through, but the spirit of God is available to you. The comforter is available to you. The advocate, the lawyer is available to you. The source of power, the Bible says, you shall receive power, the Holy Spirit. The word power is dynamo, dynamos, which will where we get dynamite from. If you need power in your spiritual life, it comes from the Spirit of God. And in Acts chapter 2, at the end of that passage, it says this, Therefore, let all, and that's Peter, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, the people that were there, they said, the Bible says, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, to your children, and to all afar as many as the Lord God will call. And this morning I want to tell you, you can come to God. I don't know where you are in your life right now, but you can come to God. And he says, if you come to God, if you repent, if you come to God, he will fulfill. He will fill you with the Holy Spirit. And you, you see what he says? He says, God has made this Jesus whom we crucify, both Lord and Christ. A lot of times we say, I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Coming, repenting is saying, you know what, God? I'm not only going to have you as my Savior giving me what I want, but I'm going to have you as Lord, where I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to give you my life. So this morning, what I want to call on you, and I want to call on anybody listening, wherever you find yourself in the political aisle, to come back to God. I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm going to vote. I'm going to vote. I'm going to put my vote on the ballot, but my hope is in Christ. Where is your hope this morning? Where do you stand this morning? That's where you think you guys can come. And I want to ask everybody to think about where you find yourself this morning. You find yourself in a place of constant life where, you know, you're working, you're working, but it's not enough. Maybe you find yourself where you feel conquered, you feel defeated. You feel defeated, you try to give it all you could, but you experience it. Your relationships is a defeat. Your job, professional life is in defeat. Your spiritual life is in defeat. You're experiencing. I want to tell you this morning. 